Roll call, please. Trustee Alvarado? Here. Trustee Banerjee, is that here? Trustee Challen, is that here? Trustee Shequin? Here. Trustee DeVries? Over here. <laughs> Trustee Peterson? Here. We have a quorum. Trustee Banerjee is here. Great, thank you. Thank you, Bella. Uh, we have public comments. Dr. Davida Flattery. Okay, hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for this opportunity to speak to you for a couple of minutes. Um, I'm here to um, talk with you about the uh, seismic safety of the buildings where the majority of physicians for our hospital are currently housed, where our offices are. And that we have um, information um, that uh, concerns us that these buildings are actually dangerously structurally unsound. Um, so in a major earthquake, the medical staff would be at risk of being incapacitated when, when our patients are going to need us most. Um, and actually, according to the University of California Seismic Performance Rating System, uh, the buildings that we are in are, quote, um, a high life safety hazard in their present condition. Such buildings or structures would be given the highest priority or should be given the highest priority for expenditures to improve their seismic resistance or should be considered for other abatement programs such as reduction of occupancy. So I want to give you a little bit of background on where we obtained this information um, and, and the timeline. Um, so we, the medical staff from the Departments of Emergency Medicine, Internal Medicine, Pediatrics, and OBGYN, um, were given an old paper seismic evaluation that had been in someone's filing cabinet 30 years ago. And uh, we, we don't actually know where this report originally came from. Um, and we, um, just of note, this is only pertaining to the office buildings and has nothing to do with inpatient facilities. It's just, uh, so none of the laws related to seismic safety for inpatient buildings have anything to do with our buildings. Um, so um, th this report rates buildings as um, good, fair, poor, or very poor on the seismic rating system, and that our buildings are in the very poor category. Um, so when we read this report, obviously we were concerned, um, and so we've been doing some research over the last year and a half, actually, um, talking to um, stakeholders and, and trying to find out more information. Um, and so what we found, we talked to the City of Oakland Building Department who said that they inspected all the Oakland City uh, public office buildings after Loma Prieta and did any necessary upgrades, but of course Highland falls under county jurisdiction, so they didn't have anything to do with our buildings. Um, we talked to the county building department um, who looked in their files and said they have no record of ever having done any structural evaluation on these two wings. So we're talking about A wing and B wing in the old buildings. Those are really the only two structures in major question here. Um, and that they had never evaluated those buildings. Um, and they referred us to talk with the AHS um, facilities management um, team. Um, and so we actually worked closely with the AHS um, facilities management um, team who were extremely helpful um, and actually searched 
all of the internal drives and did Google searches and had found no record of any inspection of these buildings in recent history. So essentially, it seems that there's been um, no inspection after the evaluation that we have, um, which I, I will give to you. Um, so at that point, which was about a year ago, we became more concerned, um, and so 88 physicians signed a letter asking for um, an updated seismic evaluation to be done of wings A and B. And actually, people who signed that letter are the um, chair of the uh, chair of internal medicine, the chair of emergency medicine, the chair of OBGYN, chair of pediatrics, and Taft Bouquet, who you all know is on the board of trustees. So um, we are all very concerned about this issue. Um, so it, it seems that sort of in conclusion, where we are now is that to the best of anyone's knowledge, within AHS at the county or at the city level, there is no updated information that um, supersedes um, this report that essentially says that the building that houses the medical staff of the level one trauma center for our entire catchment area is the most unstable, has the lowest rating, and has never been retrofitted and has never been examined. Hmm. So what we are asking for is that you, you all would help us to make it a priority to have these buildings inspected. Because if there are obvious small retrofits that can be done that could keep us from going first in a big earthquake, that is obviously in the interest of the patients of Alameda County. Because we're going to be needed in a mass casualty incident. And so it it's, um, seems apparent that we should be in a building that is not rated at the lowest level of safety. Great. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, very timely. Um, if I can ask staff to add this to the uh, process we're in now, which is uh, the beginning of evaluation of our facilities. Uh, I don't think it, I think when we asked for uh, this process, we didn't have this specifically in mind, but it seems like it fits within uh, the challenges that we assumed um, might exist within our facility. Is that, is that something that uh, staff can do for us in this report? Certainly, okay. and, and certainly, and we will touch briefly on that as well in the presentation later this, this evening. So we'll, we'll have some superficial discussions around that, but not, not certainly nothing in, in great detail, but we'll talk about some of those issues and challenges that we're, we're still in. I just wanted a good doctor to know that we for sure. to take this seriously and continue to be uh, monitoring the situation. Please. Please, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for the work. Okay, let's uh, move on. Um, we're going to start with well, an action item related to the minutes. Is there a motion? A motion to approve. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Thank you. Information items. So we'll go to our interim CFO, Nancy. Yes. Good 
Okay, so um, I'm just going to touch on January highlights. Um, we'll talk about our forecast for fiscal year 19, um, the forecast for the 12 months rolling um, after that, and then um, the San Leandro finances, um, as you guys had requested. I'm sorry to interrupt. I should say this earlier. We're going to actually move around the agenda a little bit. So item number three, the fiscal year 2020 budget update. We'll do that right after the San Leandro report. And uh, so this is uh, Buffalo, folks. We're going to have a, a very serious conversation about the condition of um, our current finances, but to more troublesome as where we're headed uh, for next year. So we figured we'd put this up front for discussion. And then we'll go back to um, our COO for the reports he's uh, prepared to provide to us. Thank you. Okay, so um, an overview for um, the volumes in, in January. Um, our inpatient activity was continued to be strong. Um, outpatient, however, uh, was below budget. Um, our acute patient days were 8.3% over budget for the month. Um, they're over budget 7.5% year to date, and they're 6% above the prior year. Our acute discharges remain below budget, um, both for the month and year to date, so our average length of stay is continuing to be um, significantly above budget. Our post-acute days were above budget for the month and year to date. Um, our uh, year to date post-acute days are 2.2% above the prior year. Clinic visits were 5.1% below budget for the month. Um, January had the same number of clinic days um, as the prior year, so there wasn't an issue having to do with the, the number of days that were captured in the budget. Um, the clinic visits were 4.2% below budget year to date, and they're actually 1% below prior year. And this is actually, um, primary care visits are actually above budget, um, but specialty um, is below. Emergency room visits continue to be below budget and below prior year. Um, physician work RVUs were above budget in January and they continue to be above budget year to date and significantly um, above the prior year. You'll note that the, the variance to the prior year is somewhat shrinking because we had been going through uh, improved charge capture throughout the year last year, so um, it's, you're, you're going to see a, a lower variance as we go along. Um, so highlights from the overall financial report. Um, our net patient services revenue was under budget by $6.2 million. Um, but this is offset by supplementals that were over budget by 4.6. So overall revenues were um, $1.5 million under budget. Talk a little bit more about that later. Um, the January expenses were under budget, more than enough to fully offset the revenue shortfall. Um, expenses were $1.9 million below budget compared to revenues that were under by $1.5. Our net operating income was $342,000 over budget for the month. And without the capital cost transfer that was done in September, our year-to-date net operating income would have been about a half a million dollars um, above budget year-to-date. Overall net income is above budget by $1.3 million for the month and $7.6 million year-to-date. And that, again, is due to that long-term portion of the pension expense. And when we get the actual where we'll report um, at the end of the year, we'll know what's really happening with that. Um, just a closer look at the revenues. Um, 
our outpatient revenues were under budget, um, but gross patient services revenues were actually above budget um, uh, for the month because of inpatient and professional revenues being over. Uh, Year-to-date gross charges are 5.6 percent above the prior year. Um, net patient services revenue, again, was under budget. And we had, during the month, we booked a $3.8 million adjustment um, to net revenue, a negative adjustment for some cost report settlement adjustments that had to be made. Um, otherwise, our shortfall is consistent with the $27 million to $29 million that we've been reporting as an annual shortfall. The supplemental revenue was over budget by $4.6 million. Um, due to our mid-year review, we had adjustments to the GPP for fiscal year 16 and, and fiscal year 18. We had adjustment to prime for fiscal year 18. And we also had to make an adjustment, a negative adjustment, um, because of our AB85 liability for fiscal year 17 to get that up to the full amount that we're going to have to pay back in September. Um, and then there was an uh, uh, offsetting adjustment as well to dish, um, some dish reserves, which we're going to end up having to take in or use for some other purposes um, that we have uh, have reserves for from fiscal year 15. Um, while we were under budget um, by 20 million, um, the net patient services revenue is still 3.2 percent above the prior year. Our net patient services revenue collection percent is 0.4% under the prior year, and that's mainly due to the overall charge increase that we have of 2.4%. Um, and then just to note, the Medi-Cal Managed Care GME program has still not been formally approved. It's still in the process. Um, some expense highlights, um, our FTEs were under budget by 287 um, FTEs, or 6.2% in January. The total labor expenses, including benefits, were $3.2 million, or 5% under budget. And overtime was significantly under budget for the month of January, which is good work. So we see our difference, our variance in salaries um, and, and wages compared to the FTEs are closer um, because of that. Year-to-date, our variance was 200 FTEs, or 4.5% under budget, compared to 13.7 um, million, or 3.2% um, in expense. Our worked hours per adjusted patient day were below budget and below prior year, which is great. That's what we want to see. Um, uh, on medical supplies were over budget, mainly due to uh, implants and surgical supplies. Um, repair and maintenance were over budget um, due to equipment repairs with GE and staff are actually working on vendors to try and reduce or mitigate some of that overage. Um, and then our contracted physician expense um, includes some prior year um, contract settlements um, and reconciliations for a couple of um, our uh, physician groups. So management continues to do, you know, um, work on benchmarking and expense management. So you can, we can see that they're, they're doing a great job um, in controlling expenses. And I just want to make a note on this slide. Um, the overall salary and wages year-to-date, um, according to this, have averaged 3.4% below budget. But I'm continuing to, last month it was at 1.4%, and that's what I've continued to use in um, the projections going forward. So you know, hopefully we'll, by the time we get to the end of the year, you know, we may do better than what is being projected. Can I 
The outside medical services, that, that you know, is a big chunk of the actual over the budget. So can anyone explain that, that one? It's the outside medical services, which, which SBUs and things are the ones that are taking up. Isn't that the... Uh, outside medical services? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's materials and supplies. I think that's for. Uh, that, yeah, that's where we um, we have to send. We have okay. patients that we pay to outside entities that that comes under the health pack contract. So for health pack, they're the only provider of acute services, and when they uh, need services that we don't provide, and we send them to other uh, acute providers, then we're responsible for paying those services. Paying for those services. So is that like a function of how much capitation we have, or is that like? No, yeah, it's it's just it's for the, um, the uninsured that are covered through the county contract. Mm -hmm. So we don't um, we don't pay for outside services because we're we're only capitated for primary care. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. So when they go out, the yeah. system. Okay. That's quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So on the balance sheet, just some things to note. I mean, both our net and gross accounts receivable days um, have increased for the month. Um, and in order to be in the best position for Sapphire Go Live, I mean, we have staff across the organization are really working hard at trying to resolve the evil errors things that are sitting out there um, that keep our bills from going out. Um, and we're starting to actually see progress on, on the, the EBU side. Um, accounts payable days are looking great. They're down to 28.1 um, from 42.8 at year end. Um, although if we start getting into some cash flow issues, we're going to see this rise up again. Um, we continue to be compliant and we expect to be compliant with the terms of our line of credit agreement by the end of the year. You'll note that we see kind of an uptick coming up close to um, the, the actual um, limit um, towards year end. And what we built in here is some of the outstanding liabilities that we have. We put in, um, there's like $20 million for one of the year's dish um, payback, and there's also uh, uh, $41 million in case our, we're still trying to settle the, out, uh, the FQHC liability, so in case that comes to play, we, we built those in because they could potentially happen um, by the end of this year since we our current hearing date for the FQHC appeal is at um, April 3rd. And I, we're trying to settle that. That's hopefully going to be pushed out for settlement. Um, but just in case something happens that we have to pay that, we wanted to make sure that we would end up being compliant. Um, so we put those in there. But um, I do want to point out that we do have um, the potential to face significant cash flow issues in 2020. So if you look at this, this is a, a kind of a blow-up snapshot from the reserve schedule that's in your financial report. Um, and as you can see, we have an overall receivable from our supplemental programs and cost report settlements of $11.1 or $11.2 million. However, I have to note that we have not been settled for Medi-Cal inpatient um, fee-for-service or for DISH and safety net care pool under the old waiver since 2007. So 2008 to 2015 for those old waiver years have not yet um, been settled and we even have not had Medi-Cal settlement even though 
the audits have been done and we know what the amounts are for um, fiscal year 16, 17, and 18, the Medi-Cal settlements have not been made. So we are, we have been told by the California Association of Public Hospitals, and, and we know also from the audit schedule that the state has put together for the old waiver that um, uh, the CMS has told the state that they need to settle all the old waiver years by the end of the current waiver, which is at the end of 2020. So um, if they intend to settle all these years by 2020, we have a significant liability um, that's going to create very difficult um, cash flow issues for us and our ability to meet our net negative balance. While we've reserved these um, issues from a financial statement perspective, we do not have, I mean, we don't have our own cash. We don't have a pot of cash sitting aside to pay those off. If, if this was a county hospital, those liabilities on our balance sheet would be liabilities of the county and they would have to pay it back. So these um, amounts have not been considered in any of the previous um, cash forecasts in terms of it all coming due at one point in time. So I, I, I needed to make sure that you are all aware of this issue. Mm -hmm. so okay, so can you give us a ballpark? Well, the two amounts that are sitting there, I mean, there is potential that there's a little bit of um, uh, timing in terms of the Medi-Cal ACMC. There's right. some of those could be in prior years, but I mean, we're talking upwards of a million, $100 million. Well, okay. Or ten even points. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been reserving this, right? From a financial statement perspective, yes. But from a cash flow perspective, no. We don't have reserves. Right. Any more questions about this slide? Let that sink in. Mm -hmm. We can talk about it more for the end of the budget mm -hmm. discussion, I think. It'll come up. Mm -hmm. Because it's not immediate. So it's, it is a timing issue. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's uh, likely to happen in 2020. Yes. In the, next, yeah. in the next budget year. Yeah. But that is a guarantee that they have set that date, that by the next year, by the end of the fiscal year, they will want to have that. It's by the end of the waiver. The waiver ends in December 2020. So, but the most likely they are going to push this. And, and just so that you understand, while the Medi-Cal money is owed to us, mm -hmm. the old waiver money, um, the, both of these are all federal money. It's not state money, it's federal money. Okay. okay? Right. And the, the way that the old the waivers work is that the state um, pays out the dish and safety net care, but they paid it out to the hospitals based on estimated allocations, mm -hmm. okay? The estimates that were used for um, Alameda overstated the amount that they, the hospital actually earned. Mm -hmm. So this money is actually belongs to another one of the public hospitals because all they're going to do is redistribute it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to pay the money back so mm -hmm. that the state can then pay it to another hospital. So whatever, where we have a liability, somebody else has a receivable. Where we have a receivable, somebody else has a liability. So it's not it's not like we can just say, oh, we can't pay it back because mm -hmm. they have to pay it to someone else. Mm -hmm. 
this is this is a situation that happens to to all of us. So everybody mm -hmm. has some pluses and minuses. Obviously, right. mm -hmm. some people's pluses outweigh their minuses, and mm -hmm. others don't. And we happen to be in the group that, in this case, for those years, uh, end up on the the, the the side where the minuses outweigh pluses. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and then, as you can see, there there are other uh, sort of favorable elements of the uh, of the reserve reserves here in terms of things that we expect to happen uh, that would uh, positively impact our uh, balance uh, balance sheet. Uh, but it's about the timing of when those things occur, and it's not clear that the, the other pieces will happen over the course of the same period of time to the to the degree that they would be able to offset this piece of it. So it's kind, of, it's kind of a timing issue as much as anything else. This particular matter, I guess. Yeah. What's the outside time frame for when <coughs> that other money kicks in? How long did you anticipate a gap with this? Estimates. Well, the, the other programs, like for example, you know, GPP, right now we have um, on, on this schedule there was a receivable of only $752 million. We get, we get paid quarterly. So because we get a, you know, approximately, what, $70 million or $80 million a year in GPP, you know, every quarter that, that number goes up to 20 and then we get paid and then it goes, you know, goes up and it goes down depending on the timing of when those payments are received. The, the EPP and QIP, we have not yet been paid at all for 2018. Um, and, and the first payment that we're going to get on the EPP for 2018 is not going to come until September 19, and that's only going to be half a year's worth. So there's certain ones where we always have a big receivable sitting out there, and it's just a, a timing perspective in terms of when the cash is going to come in. Does that so, make sense? So in the old, old way, there's, they're audited. It's just a matter of them taking the money back, or is there some yes. still going on? So, 2008, 2009, 2010 have been audited. 2014, 15 have been audited. Um, they are currently starting the audit for 20, 2011, um, and they expect that in 2020 they will finish the audits for 2012 and 2013 as well. So we would be delighted if they have this money to have them do these, finish these audits. Correct. <laughs> I'm sure they're not going to be delighted because right. we don't uh, have the whole That's true. Got it. So there are certain facilities that can't wait to get this done because they're sitting, they have all this they're waiting to get. Um, for us, it creates, doing it all at one time creates a significant cash flow issue. Right. And there's no remedy that the uh, system is going to consider for an institution like ours? I, I, I the thing is that this is not, um, because it's not state money, it's federal money, right. you know, I mean, you would have to somehow get a, basically some kind of loan agreement from the state, which would probably require legislation, so I, yeah. Pretty far fetched. Yeah. But who knows? You have friends. Some. Yeah, some friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any other questions? We'll, we'll, we'll 
we'll come back to it as a consolidated uh, piece when we do the budget part as well. But folded into the budget process report. Okay, so um, again, as I did last time, I, I just want to acknowledge patient financial services for the great work that they're doing in collecting cash. Um, you know, while December, or um, overall cash, it's been consistently, except for December, higher than the prior year. But year to date, I mean, it's $49 million um, over what they collected in the prior year. And the net revenue, just to give you an example, only increased is $12 million over the prior year. So they've actually really been doing a great job. Um, so going, moving into the, the forecast, so I'm not going to go through all these details. It's pretty much the same as what was done last, uh, last month. However, based on the amounts that we were over in um, some of our expenses in the current month and, and year to date, um, basically we changed so that um, previously we had expected that we would be kind of at budget for um, pharmaceuticals. Um, or at budget for um, repairs and maintenance and utilities. Um, now we're not expecting that to happen, um, but we do expect that we will hopefully stay within budget on the next month so we won't be um, that much farther over budget. Um, so if I just move here, um, basically, um, we believe, you know, at this point, we're going to be very close to meeting our EBITDA target at the end of the year. I mean, this comes out to be essentially with excluding the, um, the, the uh, capital cost adjustment. Um, we, this would show that we would uh, basically have a negative, we'd be $516,000 under budget. Um, you know, it's very likely given where we are currently at 3.4% below um, budget for salaries and wages and my projection has 1.4. I mean, it's very it's very likely that we're going to come in um, at our EBITDA target. Uh, so looking forward though for um, the, the rolling 12 months, this one covers the period of um, January through December. Um, so it's uh, basically all of calendar year 2019. Um, uh, essentially, this is it's kind of the same things that were put into the, the prior um, prior month, what we had in there. It starts with the actuals from July um, through December of, of 18, um, and then adjusts up for fiscal year 19, um, and then um, uh, uses the budget for the last part of this year, or actually the actual projections for the last part of this year. Um, and we have some increases in there. Um, Major A's increased at 2%. With, you know, the, the uh, Alameda tax is back at the, the pre-election level. Um, we have the, the lower revenues for our supplementals. GPP and Prime are 21 million dollars lower than um, the current year, and then the Medi-Cal GME is adjusted down by 10 million for that. Um, uh, what we expect if it is approved, um, we have uh, the added costs for Epic training, um, Go Live support. Um, and then the additional operating cost um, as Epic goes live. And we have pharmaceuticals increasing at 4.28%, supplies at 
Um, it does not include any budgetary cuts or changes in services. Um, this also does not include any adjustment for rehab moving to Stanley Andro and then a consolidated license. Um, so, if you, it's, this is very small, sorry. Um, but basically, as it did last time for the 12-month rolling average, it shows an EBITDA target of, I mean, an EBITDA margin at 0%. Um, but I just have to point out that that's actually, if you look at the, 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 the losses in the fiscal year 20 um, and projected those forward, um, you would see a, a, a negative EBITDA. Um, it's being offset by the first uh, five months of the year that are really in fiscal year um, uh, 19 that actually are showing positive operating margins. So this is just going to give you a glimpse into what we're actually going to see as we got talk about the budget um, discussion um, because it, it it basically feeds into, um, and, and it, it would show you the same type of a negative margin. Can you remind me, we, we're assuming a little lower EBITDA rate next year anyway, because of the go live, what was that amount? 2.8%. 2.8, okay. okay. So I just want to make sure that. And you said that the move from San Le to San Leandro Hospital from Fairland is not included? It, it, Yes, it's not included in these projections um, because basically, when we one, we don't know what's going to happen um, with the uh, the labor yeah. costs, um, and if anything, I mean, basically there were offsets. There was you know cost mm -hmm. reduction or there was cost increases in some places, and then we also had that um, reimbursement. the reimbursement yeah. change. Yeah. So it was just too difficult to try and put it in from a timing perspective and stuff, so. Right. That, that could be a positive. Effect. It could be a positive. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any questions about the forecast before we go into San Leandro? Okay. So, um, this is just a, this screen just shows, uh, you know, as a part of our June 2017 financial statements, this is just a report that was there that showed by S SBU, a facility, um, kind of what the, um, the, the facility view of the income statement. And as you can see, the third column from the, uh, from the right is the San Leandro Hospital has a gross of, um, gross revenue of $430 million. It had a $69.6 million net patient services revenue. It showed $16 million in supplemental revenue, um, $80.8 million in expense, and it had a contribution margin of $4.9 million. And again, same as with the Alameda um, uh, Hospital, um, discussion. It, it's not really a realistic view of the facility because it makes it look like it is, you know, profitable, right? Because it doesn't include any of the, the support costs that are included in those revenues that they're receiving um, for services. Right. Okay. So, um, let's see. 
and this is just a discussion on how cost was determined. It's really, it's the, it's based on full cost of services. We use allocation of overheads um, from the, or support services that come from the, uh, the home office cost report. It's what's the accepted um, allocation methodology by Medicare and Medi-Cal. Um, so all of the system-wide support services costs are, you know, included in that um, direct allocation. Everything is is using cost-to-charge ratios, um, which are um, created in the cost report. So, and in um, we used originally when we did the Alameda Hospital finances, um, we had to estimate what the costs, the full costs were going to be for 2018. This is actually using the actual costs from 2018 because by the time we did this, we had already completed the 2018 cost report. Um, net or the revenues, again, net patient services revenue was calculated by account um, at the payer level. Fiscal year 17 um, are actual collections because it's been over a year since the end of there. We just took everything that we collected um, because all billing limits have been reached. Um, supplemental revenues are, uh, at, uh, the net patient services revenue for fiscal year 18 is actually what we estimate because we haven't collected everything that we can. Um, the supplemental revenues are, in some cases, they're earned at the facility level. In other cases, it's done through an allocation. Um, and um, basically, the, the allocations that we go through for um, all of our um, costs, what I have a schedule that shows how they're done, but because it's a, the 8085 allocation that we have to do, it's complicated, and so, um, and I, I didn't, I didn't have time to go through everything for fiscal year 17. So we just, I'm showing you what it looked like without supplementals for 17 compared to 18 without supplementals and with supplementals. Okay. Um, So here's how the allocation of the supplementals um, were done. Um, AB915, which is the outpatient medical fee for service supplemental, that's the actual amount for San Leandro Hospital. Um, the Medicare Managed Care rate range, um, QIP and EPP prime, um, and a, a most component of the, um, the hospital fee are all allocated based on Medi-Cal managed care charges that are allocated across our system um, based on their percentage of Medi-Cal managed care charges. Um, the health pack um, contract, it was first allocated to outside medical services, then to Highland to the and then to the ambulatory clinics. Um, so there was actually no allocation of it that went to San Leandro Hospital, same as with Alameda Hospital. Um, GPP was allocated based on uninsured, HPAC, and restricted Medi-Cal and compensated cost. Um, and then Major A was allocated to um, indigent and compensated cost. So Medi-Cal, Medi-Cal managed care, duly eligible, um, health pack, uninsured, and other governmental programs. So this is really small um, and it's hard to see, but basically um, for fiscal year 17, without, um, before supplementals, it showed that um, San Leandro Hospital had a loss of $31.7 million. Okay. Um, when we look at fiscal year 18, um, that number is, uh, 
37.1 um, million dollars prior to supplementals. When we went through and did the allocation of supplementals, um, actually the net loss for the facility was $827,000. And this is the same um, methodology and allocation that was done for the Alameda Hospital um, uh, review. Um, and I want to make a, a, a explain on this. Um, the payer mix at San Leandro Hospital is much different from the payer mix at Alameda Hospital. Um, they have less straight Medicare and they have much more Medi-Cal managed care. So there's a, a much higher percentage of supplemental revenues um, that can be allocated to the San Leandro facility. Um, and so essentially what, what's happening on the Alameda Hospital side, they had between um, commercial insurance and straight Medicare, they had a, a, a somewhere of $15 million in a loss or, or more than that that could not be covered at all by supplementals. In the, in, in the um, uh, case of, of San Leandro, that number was around $3 million. So they have their own supplementals and other, other operating revenue that help offset that, but ultimately, um, they just get more of the supplemental allocation for our system, and that's what it comes down to from a net loss perspective. So, and then as an informational note, I just want to say that just like I said with Alameda, I mean, San Leandro Hospital is an important part of our system as a whole, so um, this is just for informational purposes. I, I assume that San Leandro wasn't there's <coughs> some of those allocated costs, the costs themselves would not go away, right? You know, in other words, you're out of Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. Some of the overhead support service costs would not go away. But if the hospital wasn't there, um, okay. the vast majority of the, the supplemental revenues would stay. Okay, right. Would you say that, you know, without supplement and with supplement, the cost, real cost of doing business over there, does that reflect how it is with maybe some of the other, uh, not, not Alameda, not a community hospital, but say Highland, in terms of how the allocation was in, or is this so, you know how you said that this is what it is without any supplement, this is what the, you know, what the expense or the loss is, and this is what it is. With, with, the, with the supplements, the loss is 800, some thousand or the other. So, is the, is the minus, because the payer mix is different, you, can, it, you can't really compare how it is with any other hospital within the system, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the payer mix does make a difference, and there's also just some other um, things about um, those facilities. For example, at Highland, you know, when Medicare pays us, the, the amounts that we get paid per discharge is much higher because we get teaching, you know, we get um, direct medical education, we get indirect medical education, and we get a much higher amount for disproportionate share funding. Mm -hmm. Because um, San Leandro and Alameda are both less than 100 beds um, on the acute side, they um, they are limited to a maximum of 12% Medicare dish, and then they don't get any teaching 
the teaching costs. So depending on the mix of, you know, the payer mix, it's going to make a big difference. So now with the licensing coming in the same uh, the core and then also the surgery residents going into same year, would that increase the, um, the amount of dish? And that was the $5 million difference in the analysis. There was a, a, an additional reimbursement of $5 million that was for them. by putting San Leandro uh -huh. on the Highland license. That allowed them to get those. Um, it was basically mostly from DISH and, and indirect medical education. But there was a cost associated perhaps with the retirement system? That's only, if, only if some of the other stuff came to pass, which we... Uh, um, ascertain does not necessarily have to happen. We were modeling if it did happen to give you the sort of the, the uh, uh, for lack of a better expression, all the different scenarios, not just your risk, permutations, yes. yes. I'd be, you know, I, I, I'd, it'd be interesting to see if you did the same cost applied process for Highland and, uh, and uh, Alameda, how it would look, you know, in terms of this. Uh, yeah, we already did out. Yeah. And, and uh, Highland looks, how does that look? Does that look very positive, I guess? Um, or have you done that? Well, if you look at the, um, the net the net income across the system, mm -hmm. where we are, and if you took out these two, you could yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. This is much closer than I thought it was going to be, quite frankly. So that's a, a good sign, and I think some of the decisions that we've recently made will will help this. But you know, there's nothing wrong with this uh, system actually having uh, business centers that make money. I just want to say that publicly, because <laughs> I mean, it 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 seems like we have rushed in, in the past. We've rushed into uh, relationships that. A lost leader no. sort of relationships. No. Uh, so I want to be clear about uh, philosophically, I am completely aligned with you. <laughs> uh, and I think, uh, one, I mean, overall, we, we as an organization, it's it's a challenging pyramid uh, and um, uh, complexity and, and a variety of the services that we offer. Uh, largely driven, as you know, more by mission than, than necessarily by uh, margin. Uh, but the balance is important, and I think it, uh, it is a challenge for us because of those underlying sort of fundamentals to uh, um, prioritize uh, that type of um, mindset, but we are often trying to look at basically making sure we can cover our costs. Uh, and, you know, that's a fleeting notion given the changes in uh, uh, the regulatory and the payer environment, uh, and that is what you see being reflected in uh, in our some of the challenges that we're facing going forward and will drive a lot of the, uh, honestly what I'd say is sadly the luxury that we have to continue to be uh, uh, maybe uh, as balanced or uh, weighted on the mission side in the face of this unless you have somebody who's really going to, to prop us up in a way that says these are very important to us and absent this, the, the alternative is not tenable for us. Right. And, and these uh, additions to the system, uh, Alameda Hospital and San Leandro Hospital, both their value uh, decisions that were made. Without a doubt. These are valuable to, to the community. They're a great community benefit. We can't have you know, at the time, uh, the communities didn't, Alameda County didn't want us to lose um, this opportunity. So to, to care for people within the community 
where people are living. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, I'm sure the value will still be there. Absolutely. We're going to have to continue to, to balance uh, that and the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 I appreciate you saying it just the way you did, which is, yeah, that, you know, at, at times you know, for, for various decisions that we may have to make, it may feel like that isn't the case. But on balance, it is it is far from it. It is absolutely the case that we continue to have that underpinning. It's just doing it in the, in the, uh, in the face of, of evolving realities that we all have to face. Uh, the other thing I would note is that these are uh, uh, Thank you for putting these reports. I'm sure this is not, you know, you've got a few other things going on at the same time as, as your staff does. So appreciate you doing this work. I think it's really helpful. It's illuminating. Um, and it really, to me, encourages, I'll encourage us all to think more about system, not the individual uh, elements of our system. So this is a system of care, and we're trying with our value system, our mission, to meet the needs within Alameda County. And uh, when you do that, things aren't always even and so forth. But yeah. therefore, we, when we're reflecting on decisions, we should be thinking of that greater whole of the system. Right. Uh, it, it's interesting from a financial perspective, it takes us to the same thing that we it, it seem to be going to in other decisions. I, I agree. The, the, the other, you know, the caution I sometimes have with uh, these cost allocation things is if you if you said you were going to eliminate something based on on this analysis and then you go back and you look well you can't eliminate all of the overhead costs right. correct so what happens is it ends you have to look at the whole right. I guess yep. that's the point yeah it's very rough yeah. yeah. these analysis are always yeah. just a snapshot in the interest of time, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should point out that, you know, when Kinkini and I started on this board, these were looked at in more of a silo. And in fact, as we hit a financial bump, you know, there was some internal talk of, you know, chopping off part of the system, you know, like mm -hmm. Sam Andrew, because it's a loser. Mm -hmm. yeah, a, a, a financial loser, pardon me. <laughs> right. People of Sam Andrew, I didn't mean it the way that sounded. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to see that network system analysis. And you ushered in the SBU as a, as, a, as a different model so that we look at the system, we look at components of the system that are located throughout the system so that we don't single it out. Uh, I think the singling out of financials was asked for by Alameda, you know, for Alameda, because I think there was some thought in that town that they were, that, there's, that maybe they were helping to support the, the system and, and we, show that that really wasn't the case, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yes. this is really an exercise of what, yeah, it sort of was fed by uh, the way in which our reporting was done before, which was, uh, right. sort of, unfortunately, it was, a, it was a construct for, for showing one yes, way that the, the system operated and the allocation for uh, um, overhead was not included in them. Right. And so it started to look like when you looked at the revenue on a sort of net patient services basis and then the expenses, which are just direct expenses, right. it right. Uh, gave the uh, uh, misinterpretation that, that, that it was a uh, favorable contributor to the bottom line versus when you spread the entirety of it out. Yep. Right. As well as uh, supplementals as well. I think there were some uh, uh, gross sort of uh, allocations of supplementals in ways that when you when you're a little bit more surgical with it, produce a different outcome. All right. Well, again, thank you to staff. And as I uh, noted earlier, we're going to now move to the budget process. The uh, staff's ready for that. We're also going to on the on the. Something? 
I just wanted to make sure that on yes, the, um, the operating side, we were just going to do it on a question basis, but I thought we should, should just make sure people don't have questions on that part of it, or were we doing that after? We're going to have to get back to it. I'm sorry. Okay. So we'll that. Okay. Can I just ask a quick question? Nancy, you mentioned that. Um, you know, writing off when, when the 12 months has passed in terms of bill charges. Is that something we do on a monthly basis or do we do the write off at, at the end of each year in terms of how it's going to be reflected here as, as uncollectible? That's done. We, we um, analyze the accounts receivable on a, on a monthly basis. We look at that. And so, you know, as soon as something gets beyond um, billing limits, we, we basically are accounting for that in our, through our allowance uh, accounting. So, so it's a rolling it's process. It's a rolling process. Okay. And then yes. also, I don't know if there's a breakdown somewhere of the cash collections of what, of what buckets those include. Um, and this is, that's cash collections is all on patient services revenue. Is that? So it's from the patient, it's co-pays? It's, it's, it's all insurance payments, Medi-Cal, Medicare insurance, and the patient, everything. So when you look, you're, you're saying you're, you're, you, when you say broken down into buckets, is it mostly you mean between third party and uh, direct patient payments? Do we show that in any? Right, because I know that we've been looking at co co cash collection mm -hmm. as a separate sort of activity. This is outside of our regular. Is this including? This is basically saying that we're billing more timely and more accurately and getting the cash in. So it's not just on the patient side versus on the insurance side. It's everything lumped together. Yes. Yeah. That when we say cash, we yes. like when you look at the bank account, what actual cash is coming in, irrespective of who it's coming from. So it's all rolled up. But I think what you may be referring to is uh, certainly there's an effort to make sure that we're doing appropriate collection of patient uh, component, particularly co-pays and things like that. Uh, uh, and that was an effort, actually, I think it probably predated your time on the board, but, but that is an effort that continues where we make sure that uh, to the extent that we can uh, uh, look at a payer, or a, a patient's payer source and know if there's any accountability or uh, obligation on their part, whether at the point of care or uh, upon uh, discharge or uh, after a visit that we uh, properly collecting uh, that from patients as well. And that continues, but it's all rolled into that cash collection okay. amount. And I don't know if this it's too in the weeds for this committee. I guess it would just be good to kind of have an understanding in terms of how, like how much we're writing off that we expected to collect that we didn't collect, and what proportions of that is like, you know, uncollectible because it's from the patient themselves versus this was, like we, we, we were untimely filing, was it, um, a denial that we, you know, we couldn't recoup. Like, I don't know if that's too in the weeds, but, um, you know, given sort of some of the warning signals that I'm hearing, it, I, it, it might help to have a more nuanced understanding about that. And I know it's challenging because the charges are always above what you expect to receive, but I'm sure that in there we, we have an idea of what we expect. And I, it's hard for me to tell sort of what we're, what we're writing off based on what we know we're going to write off versus what we're expecting, if that makes sense. So I'm just kind yes. of trying to reconcile that in terms of our forecasting. Yeah, and to just so that you know, so this is, that's the slide that we had. I mean, it, it basically is comparing um, the amount of cash collected to the amount of net revenue. So as of, you know, January, the amount that we collected was 101% of what we had booked as net revenue. So effectively, we're, we're, we're collecting everything we expected to be able to collect and performing just slightly better than right. that. But that's great. That's, a, that's an idea of kind of on balance. It's shaking, it's shaking out to be a little bit more favorable. 
and how is that? They'll be collected more than what we'll get this revenue. Um, well, some of it is that, you know, we have to collect in, in the current period, we have to collect what we, our current net revenue, and then we're also collecting whatever we had in AR. But at any one point in time, we, we part of our um, True North metrics is we're looking as of two months after the end of each month, how much have we collected year to date on, on what we were supposed to have in, in net revenue? And and um, I think in the last True North, we're like at 103% or something, which is it's great. I mean, that means that we collected in, within two months, we collected 103% of what we expected for that net revenue. But the baseline is an expectation. So yeah, you it's based on time. Um, yeah. And the expectation of what the payment, you know, you're estimating for the patient population and the accurate year, but so it's an estimation and sometimes you, the collection is better than what you have projected. But I think your earlier question is a fair, I mean, I understand, if I understand it is a, a reasonable question, we can look at the amount of analysis that required to produce it, but I think it's something we can look at. If what I hear you saying is, if, you know, if you have, I mean, we, we have this broader number, but, but uh, particularly as we are on a rolling basis doing write-offs, uh, if we could figure out, like, uh, or uh, present in some way, and we can figure out the cadence of that, uh, some analysis of what were the causes of that, if it's because of timely billing, is it because of, you know, denials, is it because of disputes, whatever it is, if it's patient component that uh, uh, ends up being uncollectible, whatever those things are. I don't know if we have, like, big buckets of uh, denial causes, but, but I think we can look, try to look. I think it's part of my question is coming because if we're collecting more than we expected to, maybe we weren't expecting enough. I mean, so I'm just trying to understand what we're, what we're talking about because I think, mean, yeah, or so how we've arrived. So yeah. if I can make a recommendation in the interest of time, because we do have a hard stop at 530. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a um, special session meeting, I believe, scheduled. Uh, it sounds like there's been a more detailed report on uh, this area in the past. Was that did I hear that correctly? Uh, I don't know if it was a report. I'll have to go back and look. But I, I think we did some analysis before. In the yeah, I'm using the word report. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, we're in the middle of a budget process. Probably not something to ask staff to do in the next couple of months. But uh, we can put our list of tasks to uh, you know, yeah, detail yeah. breakout. Um, you know, by summer or something. Okay. It, I can just make a comment that it's a little bit more difficult because, you know, when we pull information from our system, there's nothing in the system that says what the expected amount is. Okay. So, you know, it's kind of like when things get written off, you know, it's it, the amount that gets written off could include some that was contractual, some that was, you know, maybe timely billing. It's, it's not, the system isn't set up necessarily to be able to, to break it into pieces. Is, is that something that's going to change with Sapphire? I'm hoping that, that um, um, you know, we will have things at a little bit different level. But right now, I don't think Sapphire is, is the, the initial build is not going to have it set up to calculate down to net expected you know, net rep collections, that's something that would have to be built into the system. Yeah, I actually think it's important as we're building to be thinking about being able to differentiate between a contractual adjustment and a write-off rate, because that's a big thing. 
Yeah. So can we, yeah, can we just, I, I, if, if it's okay with you, I, I like the idea of kind of exploring how we might fashion this and if we can do something where, you know, after we get through at least the reports of the budget process, we can come back and try to present something to you. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Let's uh, go on to the fiscal year 2020 budget update. So can I can I just uh, tee this off a little bit? So, so Louisa and Nancy are going to do this presentation, but I just want to set up for you uh, um, kind of what uh, to expect to hear. As, as you heard in the uh, finance update and the forecast, just, you know, full year of what we're anticipating uh, as it relates to now the operational side of the budget so that... Um, um, uh, when I say reserve thing was the piece that we've already talked about and kind of put that in a, in a holding set, uh, place. Uh, we, we, we're going through the project process now and as we've been telegraphing, seeing very ominous signs in terms of what we expect. Uh, what you will see is um, a compounded experience of revenue shortfalls from the forecast that we had um, uh, from uh, a little over a year and a half ago. Um, and that's continuing to materialize and sort of the cumulative effect of that uh, is, is weighing on the organization. You'll see also that the expenses actually going back to that same uh, forecast are roughly about the same, actually slightly better. It's just a net effect of that expense uh, uh, management uh, that we really uh, uh, benefited from this year uh, doesn't outweigh the cumulative effect of the other parts. So we'll go through that. We'll go through the process of what the budget uh, is sort of lined up to be from a process perspective to bring it to you for your approval. And then uh, we'll talk about then what, what, what happens as next steps in terms of this, certainly answering the questions and concerns you have, and then uh, uh, hopefully brainstorm with you about some of the things we might be uh, considering on a go-forward basis. The last thing I'll say is uh, we had a really, uh, and I want to thank uh, the team for this, particularly Shwar and Tony, uh, we had a really robust discussion with uh, members, select members of the management team. We had about 50 people uh, uh, from uh, directors on up across all um, uh, swaths of the organization. So we had some clinical leaders, physicians, uh, uh, nurses, um, uh, non-clinical leaders, finance, HR, IT, uh, in a happy session where we shared with the staff this um, um, growing reality that we're facing and uh, implored or uh, asked them to help us to think through some really challenging uh, potential options that we may have to uh, uh, activate this year, and we'll see how it shakes out of the budget process, but we are using that feedback along with our own intelligence to uh, drive what we'll bring forward to you as we continue the process. And with that, I'll turn it over to you. So very quickly, I'll just start off with uh, sharing again, once again, the principles that we've implemented and that we've used towards uh, the, the work that's happening right now to develop this budget process. And again, we're focusing on trying to ensure that uh, we present and provide a balanced budget that supports the work that we've uh, committed to as part of our strategic plan and working towards becoming a population health leader. Uh, our budget is reflective of, uh, you know, the operational plan that uh, has been finalized and, and put in place uh, for the fiscal year in support, again, of advancing those initiatives and those, those efforts. The process, as we mentioned here, and we'll go into the next couple of slides, which you've seen and you reviewed, uh, it's, it's key to understand that the way the, the, the volume uh, uh, statistics were developed was based on a regression analysis where we took the projected 2019 and weighed that at 60% to 2018 actuals and weighed that at 30%, and then we took 2017 and weighed that at 10%. So taking those, uh, all three of those years, really helps us uh, identify and manage and mitigate the seasonality components of the budget and how we're realizing some of the actual experiences within the, within the system. 
So that was the philosophy and the, me the, the method used to develop the volume statistics. The volume then drives the potential revenues that will be that will be collected for that, which then sets the baseline for how we need to manage our expenses. Um, we also, uh, through this process, and instrumental and critical to the process was you know engaging our physician leadership, and so our chairs and division chi uh, chiefs have been directly involved working with their administrative counterparts and the department leaders to ensure that we're looking at everything from every every uh, angle. We're not looking at it just operationally and administratively, but also looking at it clinically and what we can anticipate, further validating the work that's happening and the assumptions made based on the volumes. Uh, and, and then lastly, the Budget Oversight Committee is the vehicle by which uh, we review these uh, these processes. And so going to the next slide, this is kind of a timeline or a schedule of where we're, how we're progressing through this process. And so everything that's been kind of laid out, it's already obviously occurred. Uh, most importantly is that we rolled out the budget uh, targets to all of our leaders across the entire organization. This is now being further informed by the uh, session that we had with our sub-group uh, uh, of, of leaders that met uh, earlier this week to start looking at uh, ideas and, and, and concepts that we can help uh, really manage and mitigate uh, and achieve those targets that have been, that have been established in the budget. Then uh, we're, we're certainly presenting uh, key revenue assumptions and forecasts to the Finance Committee uh, today. And then over the next uh, week, the managers have uh, an ability to uh, complete their budget discussions, at which point we will have internal uh, dialogue uh, after they've had an opportunity to enter all their data, and then we'll be working with the uh, Budget Oversight Committee to ensure that we're discussing any areas where they may have difficulties in either achieving the target or what are some of the drivers and reasons for uh, them not being able to meet those targets and how we can work to mitigate some of those. Uh, we recognize and we know that we've got some, I'll use some of Del Vecchio's words, but we've got some thorny issues, we've got some very challenging issues this year, and we're going to have to kind of work through those, and so we're leveraging that mechanism to help us uh, bridge that gap. Our goal is to still present a, a budget draft to the uh, board on our retreat scheduled later in April. Uh, we are hoping to have a final budget uh, to the Finance Committee in May and for ultimate approval in the end of May. Now this was again a, a schedule that we have put together uh, early on in the process. We're still working very hard to try and work and continue to stay in, in alignment with this, uh, this schedule. However, recognizing some of these very uh, difficult uh, issues that we're facing, some of the challenges related to uh, you know the gap that exists within the targets and uh, the actual budget itself, uh, we, we feel that this may uh, extend beyond that as we're partnering and working closely with you to see how we can mitigate some of those uh, some of those challenges. So at uh, worst case scenario, our plan would be to, again, continue with this process in June. Uh, we may be coming back to the board with a preliminary approval of a preliminary budget, recognizing that if some of this work is continuing and ongoing, uh, we will come back and bring a budget for formal and final approval thereafter. Uh, the volumes, I won't go into details. Again, you've seen those. Uh, more, most important for me was for you to understand the methodology that was used for us to go ahead and calculate that. But as you can see here, we're breaking it down, focusing on the acute surgeries, uh, our case mix index that we're, we're constantly tracking, looking at post-acute, looking at behavioral. Uh, and again, the same methodology and analysis was conducted with all ambulatory services, as you uh, can see. Relatively, overall, what I can say is that it remains somewhat flat to current uh, current activity that we're seeing at the facilities. So with that, uh, I'll turn it over to, uh, to Nancy to kind of walk us through. I know this is small, but it's in your packet. This is kind of the roll-up of the entire budget, bringing revenues and expenses together to determine what the target is and where we're at today. Right, so, so what's showing on the schedule, um, 
we have the actual um, amounts from 2018. We've got our budget for 2019. We've got our projection for 2019, which ties to the projection that, that you all had in um, uh, the package. And then we have our budget for 2020. Um, and this budget for 2020, I, I want to say it's based on, it, it starts with the 2019 budget and then it puts in the increases. So this amount that comes out where, where we have a, um, uh, an operating uh, income of a minus 88 million and a, um, uh, a gap from our EBITDA goal of $99 million, um, that's going from budget to budget. So you have to know that you know we're currently running with a almost thirty million dollars below budget for there. So some of that that gap it's probably closer to a seventy million dollar um, to get to the EBITDA target, <laughs> which is <laughs> right. And and so if you if you take this budgeted amount and you subtract off the efficiencies that we're currently running, you see that we've got a huge gap, right? And so I want to go to the, the, the next slide. This, this just shows you where, what we had originally forecasted, and you can see that the original forecast had a 2.8% EBITDA margin. And so I want to just going to break this down to say, how, how is it, how are we, you know, coming out so different from what this forecast was? Um, and so I want to kind of break it down between expense and revenue so that you can uh, see it in a little better light. So if you go to the next slide. So this, this slide actually shows you, it's the same, the top part is just pulled from the, um, the, the prior slide. Um, and then the bottom part actually shows the current estimate. So as you see, you know, actual 2017 is the same. Um, forecast 2018, um, if you look at the, you know, expenses and, and the revenues, we've, we've got um, the actual amount in the bottom. Um, we've got proposed 2019 above, which was what was in the forecast, and we've got projected 2019 below. Um, and then we've got forecast 2020, which was presented previously, and what our current forecast for 2020 is. So just to focus on the expense piece, if you take the um, expenses net of depreciation, which is line two on the top part, um, and then you add instead of subtracting that operating cost, which is subtracting it from cash flow on this schedule, but if you add that 32 million to the uh, 1 billion 28, um, million together, those show that our expenses projected for the year were a billion sixty-one million. Okay, go down to the current estimates now. You see that um, from the, the schedule, that the original budget schedule, um, and then the amount that's estimated for Epic operating costs. It's a, a billion seventy-nine. If you take from that our current operating efficiencies, which is what we're seeing. You get to a billion fifty-two. It's not really much different from the expenses that were projected. Okay. Go to the next slide. So now let's talk about revenues, though. Um, if you look at, um, I mean, these numbers—the numbers of revenues, the actual net revenue for that was forecast for 2018 was a billion 26, but what we actually had at the end of our audit was a billion eight, right? So we we had in fiscal year 18, we, we were, um, we had that 
the issue that we had in, in uh, May and June, you know, we, we had $18 million that came out of there. If you go to the proposed for 2019, it had been at a billion fifty-eight. Okay, now we're projecting at a billion thirty-four. So we're we're again we're that um, twenty um, twenty-four million dollars below that. Progressing forward, the forecast continued to have increases on revenue, right? And so it was showing a billion ninety um, for the revenues. But what we're forecasting is really actually thirty million dollars less than what we currently are running because, well, less than thirty million. But it's because of the fact that we know our supplemental revenues are going down. So what was happening in the projections going forward, I think, you know, one, we know we had an issue with our, um, our payment percentage, our collection percentage, but as the charges, gross charges were estimated to go up, that, that high payment percentage was just continuing to be projected on top of it mm -hmm. instead of looking at the fact that, oh, well, if you're collecting 20%, but you're raising your charges by X percent, your collection percentage isn't going to go up that high because we have fixed, you know, reimbursements that we're going to get. Um, you know, we get DRGs or we have pay, you know, contracted per diems that don't go up by, you know, 5% a year. They go up very small MEI you know, increases. So what we really have is a revenue problem compared to what had been projected because our revenues are projected at $81 million less than what had been projected before. Okay. I want to I wanna, I wanna just really kind of just maybe phrase it and repeat, but rephrase it in, uh, in another way. I, I think, you know, just trying to be very, very transparent here, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, the perception here of, of what's going on, I mean, oh, is this being caused by Epic, or is this because the Epic is causing these, these, uh, these additional expenses? What we're trying to show here is that what we have forecasted and planned, and the efforts that have been happening since last year, and ongoing through this year, because we started this year, if you recall, we started the year, July 1, July 15th, we learned that, oh, we have a miscalculation on the, on the collection ratio, so now we're starting the year with a 27 to $29 million gap from the, from the get-go. The team and the staff have done a phenomenal job of managing expenses and really continuing to, st to support and, you know, the, the operation in a way that is still helping us meet our target for this current year. When you're looking at the, you know, the, the forecast for the, for, for the you know, next year for FY20, you know, we're incorporating and including some of the expenses already that were already anticipated as part of the EPIC project. And it, it was forecasted two years ago. It was still forecasted for this year. The performance and the work that's being done by our team, our Sapphire team under Mark Amy and everyone else, as you can see, our, our, our projections are even lower than the forecast. Uh, you know, by, 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 you know, as you see, 20 million versus 32 million. So, I mean, again, expense management is, is, is very aggressive and we're managing that effectively. The issue here solely lies on the revenue and the anticipated revenues that are within the organization. That's creating this major impact. Can, can we go back to that revenue slide? Yes, sir. Can I, can I ask a question? So, um, is that okay? So, uh, just really articulate I understand why our projecting for 2019 at 10.58 we've adjusted to 10.34. I, I get that. Um, explain exactly what gets us from 10.34 to 10.08. You know, where, where's that drop? And I know it's supplemental, but explain it just so we hear it. So there's, um, 
the big piece of it is that, that um, GPP and Prime are going down $21 million. And then the other, there's $10 million going down from um, the GME revenue that was in the current, you know, current projected or current budget. So we have a $31 million reduction in supplemental revenues. There is an increase that's estimated in the forecast amount. There's an increase of um, about 2% for net revenues um, just in general. Um, and then, um, but there is also, even though there's a, um, the volumes are pretty much flat, there is some reduction um, estimated in the forecasted amount um, based on the uh, implementing EPIC and a little bit of a slowdown there. So, I mean, with revenues or uh, volumes basically flat, it's basically taking, you know, kind of just the MEI increases that we get in our um, contracted rates or our, um, our uh, uh, state and, and federal rates, um, and then the reduction in supplementals. Okay. And I want to point out the uh, um, I, I really recognize that you got, your team has done a fantastic job in keeping expenses down. I mean, when we learned in the summer that you know, our revenue was going to be off, you've just—it's been like a little, you know, horse race to keep keeping up with it. And you've done a really good job. I mean, it's really obvious. And, and you know, frankly, you think we'll actually hit our EBITDA target within a tenth of a point. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing considering the twenty-seven million or twenty-four to twenty-eight million dollar you know revenue shortfall. That said, here we are. Yeah, so unfortunately, that's not enough to uh, yeah. to solve where we're going next. So, I, and I have to—I really don't want to be chicken little here, but it could even be worse than this. I mean, this is a way. It's a plan, right? So we don't know all, if all the uh, shoes are uh, assumed in here that might fall. For example, um, I'm sorry, broken revenue. Sales tax. I mean, I just look at it as kind of simple. Um, you can imagine another time in uh, uh, a you know, 20, 25% reduction in the amount of sales tax being collected under that measure, um, which could give us a couple EBITDA points right there. So I, I think, um, I, you know, the other good news is that I think we're doing much better projections of, uh, to, to get at what's actual. So uh, I, I don't mean to, to take us to an extremely negative place. So in terms of the process, staff's going to take this revenue challenge and has begun an internal conversation with staff. Correct. And what, what could you say? So, so a couple of, yeah, so a couple of uh, uh, sort of um, parallel tracks uh, is, is how I see this and, and certainly open to uh, your, your recommendations and insight on this as well. So on the sort of the tacti tactical side, uh, we'll continue the budget process. So staff have uh, budget targets that are actually set to close this gap. So you see at the bottom of this one, it says uh, EBITDA margin if target reduction achieved is 1.47. That's the target that we have given out to the staff from the budgeting process to achieve. So mm -hmm. if the staff... Million. 
not correct. Well, if, if the staff, within reason, so what they'll do is they'll take their budget that we've allocated out and try to get their expense budget within the targets that we've given them. And it's a lofty goal for, for, for mm -hmm. uh, a good swap of the organization. When they do that, we sit down with them and go, what did you, what did you do to get here and make sure that they didn't uh, uh, do something that actually has an impact on re uh, revenue, an adverse impact on revenue, then we'll, where we didn't have to reconcile there. Sometimes then they'll, as we showed you how we do regression analysis to come up with the projected volume, they may have more actionable intelligence that says, no, actually we think that the volume will increase here and we should be heavily weighting more, uh, more heavily weighting recent experience, and then that gives us a little bit more revenue potential. So there's some north and south that's going to happen here. But even if we're able to do that, that definitely puts us in a much better position. We're back on the favorable side, and assume, again, assuming that uh, the uh, the measures that happen there aren't so uh, austere that they would be problematic for us, and they could be. I want to say that the next part is, as I mentioned, we had a huddle with folks to look at what are more you know, they're across the board. So what, we have people looking in their salaries, but these are across the board. And there are things that uh, are expense management efforts that go from things that are probably a little less controversial, like um, uh, discontinuing discretionary spending for things like meals and travels and things like that, which don't get me wrong, there's some people who that's going to be a pressure point for as well, two things that impact salaries to so things that impact you know salary increases or uh, uh, benefits or things like that and those are evidently and obviously uh, uh, um, much more impactful and painful for people now the point that's also important to point out for us so to that end if you look at sort of the uh, middle column there where there's about four things and the next to the last one says labor costs as a percentage of total revenue right. if you go to the far end that number that's 76.9 percent that says that you know with everything and those are uh, inflated a little bit because we're looking at budget again so we'll take out the efficiencies as a little bit of additional uh, salary expense related to go live costs and things like that that's sort of one time in nature but that number has always been high for us above 60 percent two-thirds of our uh, expenses and creeping up as the revenues flatten and the expenses go up mm -hmm. so the point of that is saying that your expense management efforts are almost you know, three-fourths of them live in your salary and wage expense, so it's kind of hard to imagine closing a gap of this nature without it being some impact in that area. And so we're, some of the ideas that we tossed around uh, for feedback from uh, our uh, uh, representative group of leaders were certainly some in that area. So mm -hmm. we'll finish that process. We'll keep that going. We'll come back to you by the end of April with the budget. We'll do a deep dive to talk about what's included there. Concurrently, uh, after today, obviously, so we'll share with the rest of the board through communication both before and leading up to March uh, for board meeting this same reality. Uh, we'll um, concurrently with your support and approval reach out to our partners in the county for both this and the um, uh, the Castro issue and say, you know, we, we, we need to open up some dialogue around uh, the, the reality that we're seeing here and keep you apprised also about what's what's uh, what we're seeing here and then hopefully not be a one-way conversation but a collective sort of strategic discussion to your earlier point about you know we can I we can try to take an approach of just sort of weathering this and not really looking kind of as a system to say what are the needs that we're trying to meet for the community? And, and when I say system, and I think you meant this, not just AHS as a system, but a system of care. We're talking about our, our other FQHC partners, non-FQHC partners. We're talking to other acute facilities and the like and saying, you know, we, we had a meeting with our partners with the Alliance, which we do uh, monthly, and we told them this this morning, look, we're, we're seeing some very ominous
assigned to our budget for next year, we need to have some conversations with you about what this is likely to do to the delivery system for, you know, we represent a big part of the service, particularly on the acute and post-acute side for the uh, for their for their members, and we need to make them apprised of what's happening here too. So, so the parallel track, we're doing the tactical piece, the more um, broader-based piece will be engaging stakeholders to say, what are the types of things we might be able to partner with you to do? We certainly foresee there, need, be, there being a need to either uh, temporarily relax the uh, um, permanent agreement and or look at some broader uh, uh, reframing of that agreement uh, by doing something much more strategic in nature. Mm -hmm. I recognize this is not easy at all, and we stress about this quite a lot, and I feel us now sharing that stress with you, which is not usually a, a career uh, a advancing thing that someone like me would like to do, but uh, we're in this together, and uh, certainly we want to engage this together. Right? Yeah. couple of quick questions. Um, you've met with leaders across the system. Does that include labor leaders? Has that conversation happened with them yet? And if not, please, quickly. Yeah, no, so uh, Tony can speak to this. Uh, you know, we, we are, it is including them, but in a different way. You know, we, we have certain uh, uh, contracts that are open now, and those conversations are happening, and you heard some of that in the last board meeting in terms of uh, the types of uh, uh, proposals that we're making to them about this reality, and they get to hear it as we talk to you, too, because the challenges for us is we want to make sure we ma manage the... I want you to be proactive. I'm sure, I mean, no, they... Um we are in some contract negotiations and they have an agenda and that's their role sure. but if we are proactively telling them what's going on even for those who have closed contracts then, then, then there would be a potential perception of a surprise and so that's why I want to make sure we're right. reaching out to them and saying hey look you need to sit down and hear this the same way we're hearing it. Yeah. We can only do that after it's been presented to the board. So there's a well, timing issue. There's so five of us here. This is a public document. No, as in, it was the first time you got it. Ergo, we so we're going to reach out to thank you. partners because it would be persistent to do so before the board had seen this and had yeah. discussion about it. As well as our county partners, because yeah. we want to be the conduit for the information, yeah. as uh, 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 and then yeah. the time we communicate. We're on the same page. Yes. Great. Um, my second question in regard to our county partners and the, and the, the permanent agreement. Um, let's say you can close the gap by I don't know. 46 of the 80 million and there's 40 million left like where are we with our with our our credit line like wh wh where's the wh what's our room if any i think uh so, so it was it's it's uh, uh very low it's forecasted to be very low at the end of the year it goes well, like this though uh, correct. Uh, but if you saw it, yeah, you saw it earlier. It was a little bit of Pac-Man action. Um, we will, I mean, there are some adjustments we'll, we'll make to that based off of uh, ongoing assessments of, of certain things. And I do want to say, because uh, I, I forgot to do it here, although I said I wouldn't forget to do it, uh, when I put on the record, uh, when we go back to the budget, can you go back to the... Uh, the, uh, no, 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 the one with the, yes. So uh, I just want to point out here that there's a couple of things that you see on this. Uh, uh, the bulk of it is uh, operating. So when you stop at kind of the first, second, and 
third group or the last grouping before you do the total is capital stuff. So it's things like paying off our pension obligation bonds, our uh, uh, capital reserve fund, which goes to help to support the epic cost. Uh, it's our CapEx, it's our uh, uh, grant funding and support that uh, are positive offsets. Uh, we're, we're, this continues to evolve just like the uh, operating part does, and so we have some components that are moving around here. Part of that is factored into where, where that um, where that debt limit line will be in response to your question. And so uh, the short answer, though, is at this particular juncture, you know, the number, it drops 5 million at the end of every year, and then it uh, goes up uh, to that number plus 50 million over the course of the year. It allows us to do the fluctuation. But the point of this, though, is that the likelihood is that that 50 million is not, that's mostly for, like, uh, timing of pay cycles versus when bills are due. Right. This is a bigger piece. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think we need to respect this as a process, too. So it's, it's, it's going to take, uh, you've started already, but there's going to need to be a lot more strategic thinking, right? I mean, that's absolutely, that's how you all work. But, absolutely. Uh, just, um, we appreciate being included in this, but uh, we also have to be patient with pushing you towards those answers, because uh, the last thing we want to do is actually end up in solutions that, uh, aren't necessary because they're too drastic or they're not, not uh, sufficient. Um, so anyway, I need to ask um, to move our board president, uh, what's your preference on what we do with a special meeting that we have? Oh, we don't actually have one. I'm sorry. It's, a, it's an executive committee closed session. I see. So uh, no, no offense, but it doesn't include you. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah, I'm that, sorry. That, that, that's okay. This is, as you mentioned, uh, kind of the earlier stage of the conversation, but we want to tell you as soon as we can and, and keep working. Any other questions for trustees? I mean, this is very, really, very important, so I don't want to wants to go quickly, but not so quickly. Okay. It's like we've all caught up. Um, so I think what I will do in the interest of um, the fact we're going to the quorum, we can see. We can table the. Discussion. I think it's a it's a really robust discussion. It really requires us to uh, oh, yeah, to, to make sure that we dedicate some, some time for that. So maybe we can move that out to, to next month. Uh, the COO report is you have it, and if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer those either now or you know anytime. Yeah, you know, it's just really further clarifying and explaining, you know, drilling down on what Nancy reported in the overall month, good performance, um, and uh, and then we do we do have those two contacts that we want to make sure we go. So what? Thank you. That's summarizing that. Uh, any questions regarding the CRO's report? Um, and I would just, so on the issue regarding the facilities and leases question, again, I would just ask that you fold into that conversation the feedback we got from uh, the doctor today. For sure. Yeah. Great. And I want to, I, I just for the sake of work for the board, uh, Dr. Uh, Flattery and I had a 
actually uh, talk about this, and I encourage you to come talk to because it is actually a point that's on, it's folded into, obviously, a much bigger uh, um, point, but she and I met and talked about it last week. I encourage you to do it, and then got the report from this group and was happy to see that it was already there, so it was a timely uh, opportunity for her to come before you and share it from their perspective as well. I, I think it's helpful, actually, for, mm -hmm. us to, for us to hear from time to time. Agreed. From the, our, our staff in terms of the impact of facilities, it's really important. Um, so that would lead us to the contracts. Move approval. Okay. Is there a second? I second. Ken seconds. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. So we did those together. Is that, is that acceptable? Yeah. 